September 11, 2001, a new novel comes out. A boy is traveling across the Pacific in a lifeboat with a tiger. In a few weeks, a plane failure will cause an engine to drop into the bedroom of one Donnie Darko. A man in a bunny suit helps Donnie navigate time. The boy takes off his man suit and he's the tiger. But those are in a tangent universe. You see them through an act of double vision. So I'm here with Grant Dever author of Lead the Future, Strategies and Systems for Emerging Leaders. You can be found on Twitter at Grant A. Dever. And so we're talking about Donnie Darko, which was Grant's suggestion, released initially at Sundance in January 2001, but theatrically in October, shortly after the release of the novel Life of Pi, which came out September 11th by Jan Martel, and not the best release window for a book probably, but Grant's going to introduce the the film a bit because that was sort of his starting idea, and so I'm interested to hear what really sort of excites him about Donnie Darko. Yeah, so thank you for the, the warm introduction, Tim. Yeah, I was excited to participate in this podcast and have this discussion. I suggested Donnie Darko, it's one of the few films I've truly analyzed at a greater depth, telling I pursued undergrad for one of my classes. Essentially, for those of you who haven't seen it, Donnie Darko is the tale of the disturbed American youth in late 80s, who, you know, is sort of alludes to being uh, potentially schizophrenic. And he has all sorts of adventures after the film begins with a plane turbine that is not identified as being attached to any plane in his world crashes through the ceiling of his family's home and lands in his childhood room, it would have killed him except for the fact that he was out wandering um, as he is wont to do at night in the local golf course. And he wakes up to a couple golfers finding him there. And then as he ventures home, he comes to find out that the only reason he's alive is because he was out wandering to, you know, potentially due to his mental problems. And, and the film is very existential and gets at just a lot of sort of deep themes of, of morality and really, you know, makes, makes people question a lot of different things. So I was particularly interested in this film partially because of its relationship to like its launch and the relationship to the 9-11 attack because this film actually like Donnie Darko actually performed very poorly in the box office partially due to I would argue its plane crash imagery and themes of apocalypse and then since then it has gone on to become this cult classic film so especially given its lack of success at the box office it's sort of amazing that any of us have heard of it and, and would still be talking about it you know, 19 years later. So I guess that's a, a quick little overview. And then, yeah, we are assessing that with The Life of Pi. So we both just reread that. And there's a ton of overlap thematically. So I think we'll have a very fruitful discussion. I don't know if you want to tee off from there or if you want to yeah. just dive into some of the themes. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it ended up being very interesting. I guess I, I suggested we do Life of Pi alongside this because you have on, on the surface level that there's the animal elements. So in Donnie Darko, he has these visions of this weird mantra rabbit person and life of pi is about the, this young guy who father is a zookeeper and there's traveling by ship to canada eventually they're moving and transporting some of the the animals to sell in america and the core of it is that he ends up in a lifeboat with the tiger and traveling along and and it's this interesting sort of breakdown to these really sort of barebone basics of life and survival really like becoming animalistic himself and 
and so on, the sort of constant threat uh, of death and trying to survive and, and so on that I thought was interesting alongside Donnie Darko, where you have, you know, this idea that the world is ending in sort of, you know, number of days decreasing as the film goes on and what that does to Donnie Darko's psyche and, and how he sort of like handles this whole thing and therapist asks him, you know, do you believe it? And he's like, oh, no, it's crazy. But, you know, he's, he's going along and, and doing all these wild things two interesting stories in that way. Yeah, I think it's um, the first thing that really jumped out at me having just read The Life of Pi is that both of the, you know, as you said, like most of the film or most of the book, The Life of Pi is really centered on Pi's experience in the raft and dealing with life after the tragedy, you know, so like this feast of modernity, this like ship that's going to ferry them from India to Canada has some sort of like mechanical failure and collapses. And the only reason Pi you know, or at least it's, it's at least alluded to, like the only reason that Pi survives is because he wakes up randomly in the middle of the night and heads out there to see what's sort of going on. And then he runs back to go find his family and warn them about the storm and how the, you know, there's some issue with the ship. And when he goes to return to their cabin area, it's flooded. And then he ends up going to try to engage with some of crew and they throw him off the boat and he lands in this, this raft. And then, you know, the story sort of proceeds from there. So it was just interesting that there's this parallel directly where you have these two young teenage men who debatably would have died as a function of like a mechanical failure of in one a turbine falling off an airplane, and then the other one a ship engine exploding or something like this, and they both survive and then go on to have their sort of existential experience because they weren't in bed when they were supposed to. There's a thing in, in both of them with this religious element where in Life of Pi, basically, the story is very sort of wild where he lives for 200 something days in this lifeboat with this tiger and somehow, you know, makes it over into Mexico. And so the structure is there's like a frame narrator who's here is the story from a much older Pi who basically the way it's introduced is like, hey, I have this story. It'll make you believe in God. And he's very intrigued. So he takes us down the story. And what it comes down to is this idea of somehow the ship sank and somehow he lived for 200 plus days at sea and how did that happen and so one way you could tell it is this fantastical story with the tiger and uh, all these such other things he ends up on this this island of algae with these meerkats is, is it um meerkats and then you know that the island is like carnivorous and stuff and and they're the people from the sort of travel company are like you know that's that's not possible but as a story outside of insurance issues as a story they sort of agree that it's better with the animals than if it's just this sort of human sort of scraping by to live and so he suggests it's the same thing with god that it gives this better story if you sort of just imagine that they're the, the sort of higher power over things and and pi takes that on sort of broadly you know so he's raised hindu but then he also gets involved with a sort of christian and a muslim and is like well i don't really want to take sides it's just it's what it is it is you know which i think is an attempt to sort of universe the message a bit. There's this element in Donnie Darko where basically you have this idea of the tangent universe that basically, you know, that there's this tragedy going to happen and you can diverge from the sort of deterministic course of your life, what he calls God's channel, but it has all these sort of other implications. And in a way, the film is, is setting up this sort of story that gives meaning to what would have been this random tragedy of the sort of turbine falling through and crushing, you know, random 
randomly in his bedroom. And the father tells the story early on, sort of with the relief that his son wasn't in the room, where it's like, oh, I had this friend. They said he was doomed. That could have been Ardani. And there's a similar sort of thing going on that that, that, that was really intriguing. Yeah, and that, that sort of echoes through. So yeah, to your to your point, yeah, when Pi, Pi at the end is being interviewed by the company that owned the ship that crashed, they're just trying to figure out what happened as they figure out the insurance of these things. And, you know, they doubt his story, the story that you've been following throughout the entirety of the book, um, and sort of ask him to tell another story. And he goes on and tells this solely based off of human events, like there were instead of like him and a hyena and an orangutan and a tiger, instead, all being in the lifeboat, instead, it's him, his mother, a very injured uh, member of the crew, and then like this crazy French chef. And it like talks about how all of these events unfold, which involve like ends up with Pi still being alone. And it sort of has this parallel where Pi is the tiger, in fact, as opposed to Pi living with a tiger on this on this lifeboat. And I thought that that was sort of another interesting, as you said, like parallel between these stories, because, you know, not just to the point that, that you made as far as like, you know, we get a story of Donnie's death that is much more interesting, you know, that he sort of like saves the world by like going through and like following his destiny, which then ends up sort of like looping back to this time when the plane turbine crashed through his house. And at that point, he's back in his bed. And therefore, all these other sort of tragedies don't unfold that we just witnessed throughout that. And and likewise, they both of those endings sort of make you make the, you know, the observer, the reader, the watcher question how reliable was the narrator or, you know, sort of the perspective that we're given throughout the film and the book anyway, because you're you're like, okay, so in 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 the life of or in life of Pi, the men who he's talking to who are trying to file for the insurance claims or or whatever, it ends on the note that they tell the story about the tiger because they find that story to be more compelling. Also to the point you said about how there's the foreshadowing where his dad talked about his doomed classmate and this boy who died while they were in high school. Similarly that sort of echoed throughout Donnie Darko and his girlfriend in the film says some people are just born with it, it appears some people are just born with tragedy in their blood, that sort of deterministic idea of your fate, and you just sort of having to accept what life gives you is very much a strong theme in both of the pieces of media. Yeah, but also, they're, they're both getting deep into these ideas of the sort of human animal relationship and, and the understanding the sort of animalistic level in humanity, where Pi starts out vegetarian, and he gets up on this boat, and all of a sudden, he's, uh, you know, eating animals and butchering fish and, and so on. And so which story whether it's him with the people eating like human flesh and, and fish and so on or him having to take care of this tiger and so on he sees himself as becoming like the the tiger as he goes on and has to survive and so when you later see this the suggestion of people saying like oh he was the tiger in the story there's already a level to that that's going on and in Donnie Darko it, it leads to this point that oh he's saving the world but earlier on you know he's doing a all these things he's like smashing up the water main in the school and filing the statue and this guy he thinks is sort of scummy and burns down his house but earlier on they're analyzing a story and teacher asks why did they like destroy this house and so on and a student says oh you know they wanted to rob it for the money and the teacher like is like oh if you had read it you would know that they actually destroyed the money and so Donnie Darko answers why they did it is that destruction is a form of creation and they wanted to see what would happen when they tear the world apart. And it leads up to this suggestion that, oh, he's, he's actually saving the world and that these sort of outside forces of the 
the rabbit man and so on are, you know, maybe sort of these darker elements, but they're necessary. But there's also the suggestion that, you know, he's guided to do, you know, sort of terrible things because on, on some level he really wants to. Yeah. And it, and it brings up the, you know, throughout the entire film, there are these questions of morality that are really shockingly on there. So like what, another recurring element is sort of these like dynamics within his family. It repeats and talks about the Dukakis election over and over again. There's sort of this like beef within his family where his dad, you know, supports Bush, right? And his sister is an outspoken advocate for uh, Dukakis. So there's this like political sort of like morality question where they have some dialogue around this. And then, you know, this guy who Donnie ends up going and like lighting his house on fire is this, you know, hotshot self-help guru type figure. And before Donnie does that, the man is, you know, hired to speak at the school and all these kids are asking these questions like, you know, how can my stepsister lose weight? I feel like she has some issues. How do I figure out what I want to do with my life? And the man just keeps sort of giving these like feels good answers that are very sort of like woo woo. And the adults all are like, oh, this is so wonderful. And they really play this man up. And Donnie just has this overt revulsion to this man that, you know, seems very out of place at the time. And he goes up to ask questions. He asks him, yeah, how much are they paying you to be here? And this sort of causes a stir. And then he ends up just like going on and like telling the, the man that he's giving terrible advice. And he goes on and says these like very harsh sort of responses to all the students who had who had asked things that are very concrete as opposed to this, oh, you need to embrace love or, you know, you're, you're too wrapped up in fear and you need to work through that. Donnie's like, you know, stop eating that, like start exercising. Oh, you're getting bullied. Like next time you get bullied, like go kick your bully like in the balls and like maybe lift a weight or two and just sort of goes on with this madness. And then you, you know, so you're sort of like, okay, Donnie is like being very antisocial. There's this man and like everyone loves him. And then all of that is sort of inverted when Donnie goes and lights this man's house on fire in the middle of the night. But then the news plays and they find out that this man had a quote kitty porn done so in this there's there's all of these sort of like questions of morality and earlier in the film this teacher who really believes in the man this guy Jim Cunningham the sort of like self-help book guru she really believes in him even after he's arrested she devotes herself to this campaign which sort of sets up part of the plot at the end of the movie but she also has this she puts up this spectrum from fear to love and asks all the students to put a card there gives them all a card and has them read the prompt and then and they're supposed to say where the prompt would fall on the spectrum. And Donnie goes up there and he's like, I don't get it. And she's like, you just have to put an X on the spectrum where this card falls. And he's like, this prompt just doesn't make any sense. Like these things are so much more complicated than that. It's not fear or love. You can't reduce all of human experience to fear and love. And he refuses to abide by that binary and, you know, ends up telling, and then his teacher threatens him and he ends up, you know, telling her to shove the line up her, her bum. Um, so, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, so the card he gets is also it's like you find a wallet that belongs to someone and you return it but you take the money from it first you know is that is that acting out of fear or out of love and and you know he just he doesn't want to quantify it in that way but basically later that you know had the the reason he, he's able to set the guy's house on fire is he finds his wallet and so that that's what he does with that that information in that actual situation but the guy is really like running this really shallow self-help scam where everything is like one of those two things and 
and there's this real fakery where all the kids are coming up and laying out these like really serious problems about you know sort of bullying and, and so on and and every time he, his answer is basically just like reject fear choose love and somehow all of these kids are just like wow that's perfect advice thank you so much and then this is the whole thing and then in class they're constantly watching as like videos as well and it's, it's all the same thing that really is completely meaningless and so one of the interesting things going on in the film is the style of it there's this level at which it, a lot of things seem like unreal which is partly going back to what you were saying where it's you know you end up with this uncertainty of how much you can trust the perspective that you're given and so you have these moments like those sort of reactions to that and it, the the woman who's defending the, the guy you know she's also leading the sort of dance squad and there's this moment early on where you see them practicing and and the way it's worked into the film it seems so off something really off about it and there's there's all these sort of weird things going on like the grandma death who just sort of stands in the middle of the road and there's you know this ominous sort of foreshadowing going on there like some sort of significance to that that it all seems very fake but then there's also these ways in which like with the self-help guru it's like there's it's there's actually a level where it's just the fakeness of the, the culture itself and and so he seems to have mental illness issues but there's also this perspective of this world is is crazy and he's sort of seeing things somewhat rightly that he's, he's seeing through the sort of shallowness and absurdity the sort of the, the surrounding culture yeah no that's that's yeah and there's really with donnie darko i was impressed to see the level of foreshadowing and how well constructed the narrative and the dialogue was there's so many great lines in the film i thought it was really just incredibly well written and a couple other examples of foreshadowing about this guy jim cunningham the guru in one of the films that they're watching at one point frank who is the the rabbit his voice comes in and is like pay very close attention you don't want to miss something and then if you intensely watch the film that donnie's watching which is again this sort of creepy 80s self-help video the guy jim cunningham you know offers some advice or you know the this kid is sort of singing his praises for how he's helped him and he go jim cunningham goes and like gives the kid a hug and then he smacks him on the butt and then it just immediately cuts in the next scene sort of like foreshadowing that this guy is this like creeper you know and there's other elements where all of that is sort of foreshadowed or is a theme one thing i was going to look up but i didn't get to beforehand is how much of the setting and these sort of thematic elements in donnie darko are a response to what is sort of going on in like the catholic church either like right before this came out or or during i'm not like fully familiar with the the timeline of that type of thing but donnie is at this catholic school and there is sort of this conflict between the the teachers who are sort of like unquestioning really in this like binary morality and then his like english teacher who sort of and and one of the science professors who sort of are more open to donnie's view of things and entertain his his ideas and his rants even if they disagree with him they sort of like allow that base to exist so i was sort of curious as to what what that was like i i guess the other thing just sort of hit this jim cunningham point again when he does confront him in front of the school he calls him the antichrist and you know that's like sort of very explicit and then like like after that level of his outburst he's like whisked off stage and you hear people clapping and they're clapping for him being removed not for him confronting this man and you know you're sort of like oh why should they be clapping after this thing and in the moment when he goes to the man's house to light it on fire he his sort of like alibi although you know it's unclear whether or not it there we don't really see that criminal investigation be resolved but he 
was at the movies with his girlfriend and she falls asleep and then Frank comes and basically directs him to go burn this man's house down and he leaves and goes and does it and then he comes back right before the film ends and his girlfriend wakes up as if he never left and they're like the only people in the theater as far as you can see and it's interesting because the film that they're watching is I forget exactly what the title is but it is about the resurrection it's like zombie something and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and it's interesting because Donnie Darko is sort of this figure where you know he survived what otherwise would have been his death and he like lives to then go you know continue this plot and then he ends up sacrificing himself to sort of go back to the the beginning of things so it's this weird it's not a resurrection story because he dies in the end but there is this sort of weird parallel with the you know Christian story in there or like the story but it, but it also has this vision of religion that opens up this idea of Donnie as agnostic that you know he doesn't believe in God but he's open to the possibility and so you have, you have this ambiguity going on there that is, is very at odds with Life of Pi's vision where early on it's established that Pi thinks that agnosticism is a sort of cowardice and it's like you know I either take the leap of faith or, or don't and you know you just sort of choose a lane which which was also interesting because his stance there is sort of at odds with his cultural religious encounter which is that he's sort of divided between these three religions and and the religious leaders and his parents are all like well you got to choose one of them and he's like oh i don't want to choose one i want to just be in all of them and so he he has his own sort of ambiguity there but but the sense of like you know the in, in life of pi it goes back to this idea that like the story of life is just better if you imagine god figure evolve and so it's like you, you know, I, you do that or you take another story, but you don't just like say like you don't have this ambiguity. But Donnie Dark is caught up in this idea of like, you know, it could be this sort of weird supernatural intervention or, you know, it could just be a sort of like darker human element. And so the, there's these moments, though, where it's suggested that within the, the tangent universe, the sort of special figure gets sort of superhuman powers. And, and so some of the things that he pulls off are, you know, sort of relatively impossible, like he gets this this axe through the solid bronze skull of a statue that's super tall and so there's no way he's doing this but um you know there are those sorts of moments that, that really sort of you know set off what you can sort of accept as like the real base level of the story yeah they both have these sort of moments where both of these books actually or both of these media you know touch on the idea of loneliness and both of the characters are either explicitly or implicitly terrified of being alone so at one point, Pi, he's afraid of his life living on this raft with a tiger. And he goes through these very elaborate rituals, sort of leveraging his understanding of animal behavior to train the tiger and build this sort of like symbiotic relationship with it. And at one point, he thinks he needs to kill the tiger. And, you know, the only way that he's really going to be able to do that, given how weak he is and how powerful tigers are, is that he's going to starve the tiger. And then he sort of has this moment where he decides, no, if the tiger dies, there's absolutely no way that I'm going to survive. Being out at sea, he needs the companionship of Richard Parker, the tiger, to help him to survive this journey. And in some sense, he is like truly out alone and like dealing with that in his unique way. And then similarly, Donnie is, you know, as we said, he's, he's agnostic. He doesn't know that God exists. When he goes, he meets the woman who they called Grandma Death, who wrote this book on time travel and is in a sort of like related 
related to the the narrative with Frank the Rabbit and his dad almost kills her while they're driving in the car but Donnie stops him by being like dad and his dad hits the brake and Donnie goes up to her and she leans over to him and says every creature dies alone or something of that and Donnie goes and reflects on this later when he's in therapy you know he his therapist asks him about it and and he says it, it reminded me of my dog my dog Callie who died when I was very young she crawled under the porch so that she could die alone we all die alone so there's sort of this and Donnie is like surround like surrounded by friends and and family but he has this like deep fear of loneliness and to him Frank is almost like the only person or entity that he feels is is with him and that's sort of this interesting tension or you know they're both very focused on loneliness and its relationship to the characters and, and their experience right but also after he's told that every creature dies alone is, is when he goes out and he gets a girlfriend though it's not really his action it's, it's just it's just one of those wild scenes the new girl walks in and the teacher is like you know sit next to the boy you think is the cutest and it's this weird showdown and she ends up choosing donnie uh, and and so they they slowly become close and, and end up you know in, in a relationship where everyone else is sort of bullying her you know she has this like wildly tragic backstory where uh, her father stabbed her mother several times and so they got divorced and and so you have this this background of like human brutality but um but so so it's like you know he's told that every creature dies alone and he tries to form this connection and then she ends up actually being sort of essential to the sort of time travelish plot it's framed as this weird form of time travel but basically she's part of what makes it so that he has to go back to sort of correct things to this proper universe where you know the culmination is that she dies here but along the way what she says is you know he goes to kiss her at some point and she's like no, no no not now there's like a weird guy like looking at us but I, I want it to be in a moment that it shows me how beautiful the world can be uh, and so he shows her that and so it, it ends up in in this you know I guess somewhat bittersweet ending where it's like so he basically sacrifices his own life to save her uh, by like completing the cycle. But um, at the same time, you know, she ends up just sort of alone in this hostile new town, you know, not getting to learn how, how beautiful the world can be. And there's the same sort of dynamic in, in Life of Pi where you have this vast tragedy where, you know, the ship sinks and Pi loses his whole family, you know, his parents and, and an older brother and, and so on. And But basically the whole story teaches him, you know, the sense of, of maybe not beauty exactly in the world, but it, it teaches him the sort of deep love for God and it, it gives him the sort of meaning that he feels compelled to pass on than than to the, the sort of frame narrator and and so there's this this idea of like you know wanting to like teach that to someone else as like giving sort of meaning to everything yeah yeah no so it, it's just interesting how these these um stories both have these elements of the sort of like deterministic world or even this world that is in some ways like driven by the family dynamics like that's like a very big sort of like recurring experience many characters throughout the film comment on Donnie Darko's family and sort of like make different you know like the the one teacher sort of critiques his mom multiple times in this like really sort of uh, snarky and like backhanded way where she'll say something like you know you you know you're the last parent I would have asked to go with the team to this dance thing but I really need to go defend this man Jim Cunningham and be at his hearing so it has this sort of backhanded experiences likewise Donnie has a conversation with his dad towards the end of the film where he you know has been hanging out with his girlfriend he skipped the dance recital because he was at the movie theater with her and then you know lighting this man's house on fire 
And when he returns, you know, he says, dad, I'm crazy. And his dad says, no, you're not, you're not crazy, son. I used to be crazy, but you're not crazy. And then they, you know, his dad goes on to tell him that it's these other people who are sort of just all fakers and liars. And they, you know, just continue on and like say the things that aren't true to sort of get along. And you and I aren't like that. We, we don't do that. And Donnie sort of feels affirmed. There's sort of this like nice moment where otherwise his dad and him sort of have communication problems. His dad's just sort of this like stereotypical can't communicate about sensitive feelings father. And so, so you sort of see, you know, it sort of makes the, or pushes these elements where there is this sort of similarity, you know, he's like a product of his family. And similarly, that's huge in Life of Pi just because Pi would not have been able to survive had he not had the sort of expertise of his dad being the zookeeper and him growing up with that and how that enabled him to sort of like manage the experience and despite all of the odds sort of like focus his talents and his mind towards this you know nearly unbelievable feat of like surviving for hundreds of days at sea. Yeah, and there's the, you just heard a somewhat reactionary on, on Twitter the other day, but probably it was a jab, but there is this sense in the novel where, whereas in Donnie Darker, you see, you know, this sort of shallow self-help stuff and you see this like, you know, personal growth class and he, he has this sort of therapy and the therapist isn't really helping him exactly. And, and he has like the pills, but then the pills aren't really like doing much either. And in, in contrast, you know, you see Pi really sort of is able to pull himself together and and survive and, and thrive. And the way that works is, is through, you know, realizing his sort of like core animalistic nature, you know, establishing this alpha hierarchy over the tiger, you know, setting control of his territory and then the sort of power dynamics, you know, learning to, to kill for his food and, you know, really returning to these bare bone basics, returning to this very sort of traditional mode of being as one might imagine it, where it's, it's just, you know, human, as an animal in the world making do through these sorts of core animalistic instincts and as depicted that really works out for Pi and you know it's never really like you know undercut exactly except maybe in his sort of alternate story where it's like really brutal like killing humans and eating human flesh but I don't know if you have thoughts on that yeah I think this is a, it's a very interesting sort of element yeah so I joked that Life of Pi is actually like this deeply sort of reactionary text and it's sort of like goes out and makes that claim. So he describes animals as being reactionary and then throughout the sort of makes arguments about that. It really goes on where it's, you know, sort of focused on or so, so, you know, for animals, it's talk really emphasizes their instincts and their desires and how they can be trained because they're so sort of natural to them that you expect them to behave a certain way. And then later on in the story, Pi sort of reverts to this animal existence. Like that's the only way that he can survive in his condition and he, you know, ends up giving up his vegetarianism and, you know, doing all of these like really difficult and perhaps morally objectionable things. I think I think there's a, a deeper thread to, to pull there. But similarly, yeah, there is sort of this like rejection of modernity in Donnie Darko. Like there are all these sort of weird scenes and it, and it is very critical of the, the culture that they're living in at this time. So there's these, you know, beyond sort of just the self-help stuff being this fraud. Even later on, we find with the therapy, which obviously is not very successful in helping Donnie to manage his issues at the, I think it's during their last session, the therapist actually tells Donnie 
Johnny that he doesn't need to take his pills anymore because they're a placebo. So like in that, like the actual medication that he was being given is actually not a medication in its in itself. So there there are sort of these, oh, and the, the other thing being his little sister is like participating in this dance troupe. And it's sort of, it's, it's not as like scandalous as like things that are sort of happening today or, you know, these sort of whatever side you fall on a moral panic or controversies around like this Netflix film Cuties where you have these young girls dancing. It's sort of like a much earlier version of that in like the 90s where you have these like, girl are in the late 80s where you have these girls wearing these glossed up pop singer or pop dancer outfits and they're doing these sort of like dances and people are like into it but it's like it's it's framed as sort of being creepy because you see like the girls are dancing at this like catholic school and they're like in their catholic attire while they're doing it so it just it just has all these sort of like weird you know juxtapositions that i think are meant to to be critical of these things and that was something that i never really saw in donnie darko before but seemed to be more clear now with people just being like, oh, this is a fraud and sort of reject this. Although the I think the themes about religion and this more like reactionary type worldview are, are stronger in, in Life of Pi, which sold over like 3 million copies. <laughs> The dancing stuff is conflated a bit with the self-help guy who then, you know, has the, the other controversy. And, it, you know, it's it's the same sort of teacher who's doing both. And so there is the, the suggestion, the way it's set up, where it's like maybe a darker sort of undertone to this within the sort of culture. And so, yeah, I mean, the, there's this other idea, actually, that I wanted to get to where early on, Pi is explaining how zoo animals work and that there's this misunderstanding that you could just go and free them and they'd be happier and that the, you you know, that's really, really tragic that they're in captivity, but that actually animals are very happy to have sort of just like, you know, their own little spaces and their routines. And as long as they're being fed and their, their cages get clean and there's no like new things like thrown in there to scare them, they're sort of happy to sort of go about their life. And it, he compares this to this idea that if you just went off into the suburbs and you broke down someone's door and you're like, go now, you're free, run, run, you pulled them out of their houses and, and stuff, they would flip out and they'd be like, we want to go back in there. That's our house. What are you doing? And it's just, so it's the same thing with, with the animals. Although, you know, it, it ends up being somewhat subverted in a way where you see at one moment, the tiger who's actually named Richard Parker due to a mistake on a document, Richard Parker, they find this like weird algae island and Tiger keeps going back to the boat at night to sleep. And so he thinks he's really like trained it to enjoy this little corner of the boat as its home. But uh, it turns out that at night, the, the island sort of secretes this acid that's painful. And so once they hit Mexico, the tiger just sort of flees off, never to be seen again. But I was really struck by that in relationship to Donnie Darko, where you have this sort of nice suburban town and, and stuff and people in their little routines, which maybe even be more deterministic than you know some people might believe where Donnie actually sometimes has these visions where you can see these weird glowing tubes emerging out of people's abdomen that are like these trails of where they will move and and so there's this set trajectory that people have set out in front of them but they enjoy moving within the sort of narrative that's laid out for them for the most part and and so you have this idea of like what happens when the world is torn apart and 
you know, the, the way it depicts it is, is it ends up not being really this this freedom exact, you know, it, it all just sort of inevitably descends toward the sort of brutal base level. Yeah, so I mean, that that's a lot of the, I mean, there's, there's a lot of themes. I think I was just surprised in general of how many sort of thematic elements there seemed to, to be that crossed over between these two sets of media. I didn't really expect that. You know, I, I suggested Donnie Darko and you suggested The Life of Pi and it was just sort of this uh, feels like a coincidence that they're that that this ended up being such a ripe, you know, and fruitful sort of area to evaluate these things. Are there, I mean, what what other sort of topics? Like one of the things we, we you know briefly talked about is like, would either of these have the success that they that they have had if they came out today? Like how you know how have these both of these pieces sort of maybe not aged well, at least in terms of like our current zeitgeist? We uh, even more specifically, actually, what I was thinking is these are two of the last things that were made in the sort of like pre. 9-11 world and you had you had mentioned at the beginning of, of this podcast that I didn't think of where Donnie Darker actually failed in the box office because people in October of 2001 didn't want to go see a movie that was structured around a plane collapsing in the sky and all the sort of like brutal tragedy and such but you know they were both made before that moment and then Life of Pi as well you have you know this religious story that, that maybe wouldn't have came through in the same way but uh, you know I was wondering like you know ev- even like a year later like if if they were being made in the fall of 2001, spring 2002, I feel like the sort of culture and the moralistic sensibilities had, had sort of started to shift in certain ways that I, I wonder, you know, how much these are both, you know, they have all these similarities we've been talking about. And so they both sort of emerge out of that moment where you have the sort of ref, cultural refuse of the 90s leading into like what was then undercut by, you know, September 11th and the sort of rapid cultural shifts from there. Yeah, and I think the... Um... So yeah, it was sort of surprising. Sort of the the thesis that I had when I wrote a paper on Donnie Darko before was that you know the the reason that it has become this sort of cult classic is for it to be that first it has to fail and then it has to like ascend later. And you know it failed because it, this movie is so morally complex and Donnie Darko is this strange character. Is he a hero? Is he is he an antihero? Is he is he neither of those things? Is it is it just too complex to even put in in anything that's a, a binary? and how I think these elements of the film really focusing both on sort of like determinism as well as this like moral ambiguity was just not something that was like appealing to a post 9-11 audience you know like people really wanted that certainty and they wanted to know who the good guys were and who the bad guys were and this was a film that was really trying to like press people to think in a different way or at least that's one of my big takeaways or thematic elements and then interesting to sort of see how then it went on to surge as people like the narrative sort of shifted and people began to have a very different perspective on the war on terror, especially following like the invasion of Iraq, you know, and how all of the history that sort of unfolded and what we learned and the criticism that came of the the book, uh, the Bush government and, and Congress at that time led to a world where people were a bit more, oh, I don't want, um, I see that these sort of simple, you know, binary narratives don't really explain it all in the way that I hoped it would. So sort of curious about that was sort of my thesis there. And Life of Pi, it's somewhat more surface level. I, I, I do wonder, like maybe it wouldn't have had this as much of an issue as Donnie Darko, except for the fact that it literally came out on September 11th, which, you know, I'm sure it struggled initially. I meant to go look up when it did ascend to the bestsellers list. And I know that it stayed up there for over a year on the New York Times bestseller list. But you could even see the parallels that, you know, Martel is drawing between the 
monotheistic faiths being received very differently in that environment. So that that's at least a very sort of surface level thing that I, that I could find people being like, oh yeah, I don't want to have my students read this in school or church group isn't going to read this even though it's so focused on faith, something like that. Yeah, but one, I guess, thing to start wrapping this up is what do you make of, if not Pi and Richard Parker, uh, what, do you, what do you make of the sort of Frank character in, in particular? Yeah, I think the Frank character is interesting because he's always sort of this enigma, you know, and there is this point when they're in the movie theater right before Donnie goes and lights um, Jim Cunningham's house on fire where they have this great dialogue where he says, you know, why are you wearing that stupid bunny suit? And then Frank responds, why are you wearing that stupid human suit? And it's sort of questioning of identity and what, you know, sort of like, is Donnie wearing a mask? You know, he has this, he's with this girlfriend. Is he really pretending to be something that, that he's not in that moment? But anyway, Frank takes off his mask and it shows that he has this like wound on his eye. And then later on at the end of the film, Donnie ends up shooting Frank and it's ambiguous as to whether or not that's like Frank, the bunny who's been following him or like Frank, a classmate who is wearing this bunny suit. I at least believe it's ambiguous and it sort of alludes that he was shot in the face. So, you know, to sort of like go and do this, but the the character itself is very strange. There's some weird scenes that like I still don't really understand. Like there's one where Donnie is in his bathroom and he has a knife and he's like smashing it against this sort of portal thing that Frank is is behind and we don't really know what's going on there or like what's supposed to be happening. He's really just super creepy. It's like a it's a weird character sort of choice and very enigmatic. So yeah, I don't know that I have like too many strong ideas about Frank. I think Frank just sort of like baffles me. Like obviously he's a key role play in like advancing the plot, but we don't learn that much about him and there is this like ambiguity. So I don't know what is sort of your take. With the portal in the bathroom, right? He's like looking in the mirror and he sees Frank instead of himself. And both these works I think are drawing in part on these sorts of Jungian psychological type of ideas of sort of mirroring and animals and the sort of element that's within us. But one thing I thought was interesting at the end of Donnie Darko is basically you go back in time to the beginning where like almost none of the film actually happened and you see the guy who was like a classmate Frank. And so basically at the end, like, you know, he's he's wearing, they're wearing this these costumes for the Halloween party. And so you see him at the beginning of the month, he's working on the mask and he has all these drawings of the monsterish bunny face. And that I thought was this interesting sort of upset within the narrative where it seems like Frank is this sort of dark element that's emerging from Donnie's own subconscious. But then it turns out it's actually this image of his classmates sort of imagining seemingly. And so it's this thing that he inherited in some way, depending on like what you sort of take as the real part of it. But there's those sorts of interesting dynamics. But at the same time, you have this moment where the personal growth teacher tries to ban the book that the too cool for school English teacher assigned them that sort of resonated with Donnie that where it's like, oh, they destroy this house. And so they think like, this is what inspired the person to smash up the school water man and destroy the school in the same manner. And so, you know, I think the idea isn't the sense of like, oh, you know, that like media causes violence kind of idea, we should ban it. But there is this interesting dynamic where it's not just Donnie Darko as this distinctly troubled figure, but it's this wider sort of cultural thing that I think builds up where there is all these sort of problems in the society that people imagine all these fixes for. So at the beginning, it's the sort of political dispute where it's like, oh, you know, Dukakis will solve all our problems and he'll allow a great life for me leading 
getting, you know, up into to my 30s as they wait to have kids and I do all these things. And it's like, no, 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 Bush is, is the way. And then and then you have the sort of psychological element of it or the psychotherapeutic element of it where it's like, no, therapy and pills, that'll solve all your problems. And then you have the religious personal growth element where it's like, no, 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 it's just this, this simple. You, there's fear and there's love and you have to reject fear and choose the love. And everyone has these sort of simple fixes, but there's really a lot more complicated things going on. As, as you were saying, where it's like, and then may, maybe people weren't really ready for that the moment it came out, but it presents this really sort of complicated social scene in which everyone's trying to like get these sort of easy fixes, but it's really not quite that easy. And then I think Life of Pi is, is much more narrative focused, where it's just like, you have some parallels between sort of animal and, and human, but it's also just this matter of we find it better to tell the stories of our lives with these certain elements. And, you know, there's something inarguably true there. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, these are both very, very rich stories. I would definitely recommend anyone who hasn't read Life of Pi or, you know, watched Johnny Darko, definitely check them out. And I'm actually interested to go watch the Life of Pi movie, which I believe came out a a few years ago. One of my Indian friends was like, you have to watch it. They filmed part of it in my region. You know, it's really, it's really quite something. So I'm looking forward to, to that. But yeah, I think that's a pretty great note for us to end on as far as I'm concerned, Tim. And thank you so much for having me for this conversation. Yeah, of course. Thank you for coming on. And, uh, you know, thank you for reading this book and, and all the sort of work that we took into planning this. It's been a great conversation. Mm-hmm.